David Mead. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people-first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki. And I have a guest with us today that I met through our first People Forward Network event of this year, which is such a win because one of the main reasons why we do events is to build relationships. And he was at the event where Stephen Shed Shedletsky, who has also been a guest on this show, was doing the Speak Up Culture content. And this guy was just such great energy, had so many awesome insights around culture and people first leadership, just so engaged. And I think after the event was over, our entire team was slacking, who is David Mead? And so we reached out and we were so grateful now to have built this friendship with this thought leader that's so passionate about teaching and coaching trust as the core to building any strong culture or building a healthy leadership, just building a healthy leader. Today, he's going to teach us about a concept that he brings to his clients and coaches every day in his practice. It's pretty intriguing. Let's go. David, welcome to Gut Plus Science. We're digging into culture congruence together today. What is culture congruence and culture dissonance? And why is this a topic that gives you so much energy? It's a good question because people are probably going like, I have no idea what that means. Right. So I kind of, as far as I know, I sort of made it up. But I'll start with culture dissonance first, which is what I think a lot of people will react to and resonate with. Essentially, culture dissonance is when the culture we talk about is not the same as the culture people actually experience. And this happens in organizations all the time. It has happened to me multiple times. I'm sure it's happened to people listening a lot of times too. But from an organizational perspective, you have a company who talks about how much they take care of their people and how innovative of a place it is and how we celebrate mistakes and all of this stuff. And you're like, wow, this sounds like awesome place to work. And then you show up to work and none of that stuff is actually true. And so the opposite of that is obviously culture congruence, where either an individual or an organization will talk about, these are the beliefs that we have, this is what we value, these are the behaviors that we try to to embody in, in the work that we do. And your experience actually matches that. Now, the reason that that's so important and the reason I get excited about it is because culture dissonance is what, from my experience and what I've seen, one of the things that erodes and hinders trust and connection more than anything else. And again, on the flip side of that, because I always want to take the positive opposite, right, is culture congruence when we actually behave in alignment with what we say or what we believe. That is when trust is built. And that's when we feel drawn to people. That's when we feel like we belong to a team or a group because what we're expecting is the same thing that we experience. Okay. So thank you so much for level setting. So we've got this understanding and I think everyone has like an example in their mind right now. They're like, yep, they're like nailing like a workplace they were in or whatever, right? We've all had experiences like this. So here's the big question. How do you help leaders understand their level of cultural dissonance and kind of separately, which is another big question, accept the reality of what it is, which is probably very different than what they think. So there, it's a two-part question. So I'll start with that reality piece, which is really, really important because I suffer from this as well. I mean, if you were to ask me, for example, hey, what kind of an experience are your kids having is with you as their dad? 
oh my gosh, like it could not be better, right? They are so lucky that like I dote on them. I give them so much attention. But then if you were to go ask my kids, they would probably tell you a bit of a different story, right? So this perceived reality, I think, can also be a real challenge at work where a leader, especially one in a higher level of authority, might through their lens, it might seem that everything is going fine because nobody's complaining. Nobody's giving negative feedback. Everybody seems to be happy. They're all smiling when I show up. But what they don't know is that that's a facade that people are putting up because they don't want to look dumb in front of you. They don't want to give you, nobody wants to give their boss negative feedback. And all of these things that we perceive just are not, are not true. So one of the things I'm exploring is using some technology and some survey stuff to really get at the heart and give people the ability to anonymously share what they're feeling about trust and human connection on their teams. But the other part of your question, which was, how do I get them to realize that? That's one, one way. But I take a very individual approach because I believe that we all have an opportunity and a responsibility to take ownership for our piece of the positive cultures we're trying to create or that we want to live in, right? Or work in. So I, rather than looking at the team as a whole or an organization as a whole, while we sort of start there, it really comes down to an individual perspective where I help people figure out how am I individually doing with how I show up? Do I, first of all, know what I value or what I believe in? And if I do, and I'm talking about those things, how consistently are my actions and behaviors aligning with those values and beliefs? So helping people to recognize what does that look like for me? Where do I do that well? Where do I slip up? And just giving them an awareness, sort of looking in the mirror And as well as we're doing it, we all have room for improvement, right? Or being more intentional about it, even if if we're doing it well. I think you touched on this a little bit in what you were saying, but I'd love to just be really clear in your best practices around working alongside a leader, really to help them take the step of, I want to hear how people really feel. So they're going to, there's some kind of tool that's going to get assessments and you're going to get this feedback. That's step one is like being open to doing that. The second step is embracing whatever comes back. And I've seen that done really poorly where there's a lot of like excuse making and things like that rather than just like accepting it for what it is and like working on it to move forward. How, what are the best practices on how you help leaders get framed up, I guess, to be able to accept the reality and be able to then take that and move forward? It's tough because everybody's at a different place on that spectrum of being open to that feedback. Some people say they are, but when they see the feedback, it again, sort of causes that wall to go up. And they, like you said, they'll blame other people or the circumstances or whatever to sort of deflect any responsibility off of themselves. The one thing that I watch for before I even start working with a client on a deeper level is their ability to do that, their emotional intelligence and ability to take feedback or to look at themselves in the mirror and again, nobody's perfect at it, but if they're already well along that path, then we're, it's probably, it's going to be better received when that feedback comes in. If not, then there's sort of a, and this gets into some of the, more of the bulk of the work that I do, but I can bring some of that up front, which is introducing some traits, some behaviors, some habits to start to get into that can start to shift that mindset in that leader to recognize that that negative feedback is not a poor reflection of them. It's people's experience. 
And, you know, in some cases, yes, there will be some personal stories attached to that feedback, but recognizing that, that they are fallible, that they do make mistakes and that's okay because we're all human and we all do it. But I think so often what gets in the way of, of leaders specifically being open and willing to accept this, this feedback is they feel this pressure that because I'm in this position, I'm supposed to do things right. I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm supposed to have all this figured out. People look to me to shape this culture. And they feel like they've failed in doing that often. And that is an affront to their status, to their position, to their ego, whatever it happens to be. So those things we need to sort of break through and work on to help them realize this does not change your value as a human being. The fact that you're willing to do this and look at this feedback and receive it shows a huge amount of courage that you're willing to make something better and to make a positive change for those people. And I think just that admission of fallibility, that humility to be able to accept that is a huge trust builder, especially when they follow through on the stuff that they, the feedback that they get. That's a huge trust builder between a leader and their teams. Mm -hmm. So good. So just kind of summarizing some of the things you shared and, and giving my feedback as well is I think it's so important for leaders to take complete ownership, but not lean into the perfection, like I have to have it all figured out, but to take ownership of their part, right? Sure. But you do see many times where there are those workplaces, the culture dissonance is so loud that the leadership isn't taking the ownership of their part, right? There's like a mix there where it's like, you can't be on this perfectionistic side where everything is on your shoulders, but you also have to take ownership and, you know, everybody working together. I think also hearing you say that the emotional intelligence muscle is something that's like a game changer in this really being able to like move forward after the assessment is done and you're looking at the feedback, right? Just having that emotional intelligence muscle built in your leadership can really help propel things from like, here's the data. Let's just look at it as data, talk about it and like be able to start to move forward. So mm -hmm. awesome. I'm curious, what do you find as typically is at the core of cultural dissonance? Are there some patterns or things that you find? Yes, there are a couple of things that really sort of pop into my head. One is the daily pressure that we feel, either self-inflicted or inflicted on us by other sources. So it's fascinating to me whenever I get into a room with a team or a group of leaders or a company of some kind, whether it's for a talk or a workshop or a conversation that we're having. And invariably, they already know the answers, the right answers to all the questions that I'm asking, right? In a vacuum, this stuff is so obvious. Of course, it's important to have humility. Of course, we want to be vulnerable. Of course, we want to have open communication. Of course, la, 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 go, this goes on and on and on and on about all these traits they know build trust and connection and lead to higher performance and retention and well-being and innovation and all these things that they want. But then as soon as they go back to work, all of a sudden, all those pressures come back onto them, whether it be deadlines or targets or, you know, your inbox or, you know, client demands or whatever it is. And magically, somehow all that stuff that they know that's going to help them sort all that stuff out gets pushed on the back burner because it's not on fire. And this stuff is. And so that's what we focus on instead. So I think that's one of the major blockers that I see. It's not that people don't know, and it's not that they don't know it doesn't work. It's just incorporating those ideas and those behaviors into the daily stuff that they're doing already that is, that's a challenge. That seems to be one of the big things. The other thing that I find that really perpetuates this, and I mentioned it a, a minute ago, I think, is 
when people show up to work and they are in a state of fear or skeptic, by fear, I don't mean like physical fear. I mean, emotional fear, right? They want to make sure that they don't make any mistakes or admit any mistakes because then they might look like they're not qualified for their job. They don't want to ask for help because that, again, shows that I don't know something that I probably should know. I don't share my ideas because then somebody else might take credit and they might get the promotion and I won't. So all of these things that I think people so often walk into work with makes us kind of go into self-preservation mode. We watch out for ourselves because we don't know who else is going to, if anybody's going to. And we don't want to show any kind of weakness or inferiority. So when everybody's walking around like that, we got smiles on our faces. We, and it's not that we hate our jobs all the time, but we genuinely like the people that we work with, but we're always guarded. We're always skeptical. We're always cynical of who's trying to take advantage of me or I got to make sure I, I only say this to the right people or whatever it is. We put up these facades. And when we're walking around with other people at work that are all doing the same thing, there is no way that we can actually understand and genuinely care for the human beings behind those facades. So we walk around pretending all day long and we'll make some progress, but man, like if we could just drop the act, admit our mistakes, ask for help, reach out when somebody else, we can see that somebody else is struggling. My friend, George Flynn, he's a retired three-star general uh, in the Marine Corps, but he has this great quote. I don't even know if it's his, but he says it all the time. And he says, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't worry about who gets the credit. But so often we're, we want to make sure that our name is attached to our idea or that everybody knows what we did so that we will be able to advance our own career. So all these things, I think, get in the way of genuinely trusting and connecting with other people. And it just perpetuates that culture dissonance. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I want to flip now and talk about the recipe for culture congruence or this really ideal state of operating in how we work and really in flow, I guess. Uh, What do you think are the key building blocks or the foundational components to the core of culture congruence? I realize that there are dozens, if not hundreds of other opinions on this. And so I don't claim to have the solution. The Where my ideas come from is purely based on the experience that I have had on the receiving end of great leadership and at the other end of the spectrum, really awful leadership. And over the last 13 years or so, as I've traveled around the planet and had the opportunity to work with and observe and learn from different leaders all over the planet, I've consolidated all of that experience. And I'll give you just a quick background for the three things I'm going to share with you. I looked at all of the great leaders that I've had and all the great cultures and leaders that I've observed in the last few years. And by the way, my first experience with all this was when I was 17 years old, right? I got this first glimpse of what this kind of leadership looks like. And I go back to that experience all the time because it literally set the stage and the foundation for the work that I do. And so I looked at all of these individuals and I wrote down what are the the traits or the characteristics that made me want to trust them, drew me to them so that I felt that level of human connection that I talk about. And then I thought about all the leaders on the other end of the spectrum. And what was missing for me, what caused an erosion of trust or that disconnection that I felt with them. So I had a list of, you know, a couple dozen traits. 
And I thought, I'm never going to remember all these things. And so I started looking for patterns and alignment and what groups together and what sort of sounds the same and what could sort of be, be combined. And I found that most, if not all of those traits boil down to three main ones, which are honesty, humility, and humanity. So if you want, I'll give you just brief definitions for each one of those three. I do. Yes. So honesty, there's a dictionary definition, right? Tell the truth, follow through on your commitments. That's important. I want to take it one level deeper. And it really goes back to the core of what we've been talking about so far, which is, am I honest in between my actions and my beliefs? Do my behaviors and actions mirror and match my values or what I tell people I stand for? So, you know, we say practice what you preach. So it's essentially that idea. Then as a sort of a, an add-on to that, because we're human, we're going to screw it up. We're not going to get it right all the time. So when we veer off course, right, part of being honest is recognizing that we've veered off course and doing the work to bring ourselves back into alignment. So that's essentially what honesty is. And if you think about it, when we see people who are doing what they say they believe in, even more powerful is when you see a company that actually lives its values, you're like, oh my gosh, like your trust level of that person or that organization automatically goes up. So that's honesty. The second one is humility, which is having, I will say, having a healthy relationship with your ego because there's no way to get rid of it. We are always going to have one. But humility to me really boils down to two things. And the first is what I think we talk about more often, which is recognizing our weaknesses without sort of getting defensive about it. It is so hard when a spouse or an employee or somebody that we care about comes to us with some negative feedback or some correction or when we've made a mistake and we need to own up to it. What happens so often, especially if we feel like we're in a position of authority, is that wall goes up, right? And we start assigning blame to other people or situations, anything to deflect the responsibility of that mistake or that weakness onto ourselves because we can't be weak. So humility, piece number one, is recognizing those weaknesses without letting that defensiveness get in the way. This is not about your value as a human being. It's about a situation or an action or a behavior that can be fixed or changed, right? The second part of humility, which I don't think we talk about enough, is that how humility is connected to confidence. So often in the business world, humility is seen as weakness or inferiority or meekness or being less than. And leaders often don't like to project that. But to me, there is absolutely nothing wrong with being perfectly confident in the experience that we have the position of authority that we're in, the resources we have access to. The question is, what's our relationship with those things? Do we use those things to lift ourselves up? Because that's an ego-centered approach. That is not humility. If we use all those things just to make life better for ourselves, that's a very self-centered pursuit. Can I have you give an example really quick? Just because you were just sharing that a lot of times people get kind of wrapped up in this or a little confused. If you were to give an example of maybe someone you know, or just give us an illustration, a confident, humble leader looks like? Sure. So I don't know if it's the best example, but it's the first one that popped into my head. Think of somebody who, like in Hollywood, for example, who gets famous, right? They get all this money, all this attention, all this fame. And what do they do? They buy bigger houses. They buy more expensive cars. They buy all these things for them, right? To make themselves look better and more famous. The opposite end of that, I'll still use Hollywood, right? And again, he's not a perfect person, but look at Keanu Reeves. 
hugely popular, hugely successful, but gives up his seat to a woman on the subway just because it's the right thing to do, right? He doesn't allow all of that stuff that he has to go to his head. We all know, I mean, Hollywood or not, but think, even think of leaders that you've had in an organization who have such huge, massive egos because they've been given all of this privilege that they have, but they're using it for self-promotion. We can still have all of those things and that's fine. But the question is, how do we turn it around and use it for other people's interests and to lift other people up rather than to lift ourselves up? Mm-hmm. That's where humility comes into play. Giving up that sense of status and position for the benefit of other people. I have one. I just want to throw in here real quick because it popped in my head. Yeah. So I used to work with this leader that is an amazing speaker. And I mean, people would, he would pack a room, seats sold out. People want to hear him speak. He would never not be at the front door shaking hands with like the volunteer committee. Love that. It was just so important to him. It's a great example because did he need to be there? No. I mean, he could have been, could have come late. Like it's all about him, but he wanted to make sure that that experience and he just loved shaking hands. And anyways, it just popped in my head. His name's Kyle. And I was like, oh, I thought I'd throw that in. I think that's a perfect example. And you look at the opposite of that, which is the person who shows up late you're going to meet every demand that I have. I'm just going to sit in the green room doing other, not even thinking about you until I absolutely have to when I walk on stage. As soon as I'm up or as soon as I'm off stage, you better clear that hallway because I am out the door and gone. Right. Right. That's the difference. Yep. So humility is not about having less stuff. The way that I say it is, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Yep. Yep. So humanity is the third one. This one is really where the trust and connection comes in. They're all important together, but this is really where that, that piece lives. So humanity to me, the way I define it is having a genuine concern for the human experience of the people we interact with. How do we help them to feel seen and heard? How do we help them to feel valued and valuable? The key with this one is in the little things. It's not about the things that we schedule. It's not about the initiatives that we take. It's not about these big things that have structure around them. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but think about, I mean, I don't know, think about the last time you got a text from somebody who you hadn't heard from for a while and they just were checking in. Hey, Nikki, how you doing? I was just thinking about you. You crossed my mind. I just wanted to say hello. Hope everything's good. Like, oh, it's that little like unscheduled burst of humanity, just that somebody was thinking about you and you weren't you know, it wasn't a scheduled Zoom call, which, we ha- which we're getting so much of nowadays. But it's just that, how do we just see the human being behind the individual, whatever their role or title or position might be? Yep. So good. So I love these three. So last thing real quick on those, if you imagine those as a Venn diagram, right? You put those three, honesty, humility, and humanity in a Venn diagram, what you end up with in the middle is trust and connection. You have to have all three things. You can't be good at humility, but suck at everything else. And they're sort of aligned so that if you're doing one of these things well, chances are you're at least doing the other two reasonably well, but they're not separate and distinct. You have to be doing these together in order for that trust and connection to naturally result. So good. So good. So just a couple of questions. I'm like, oh, I have like 10. Which one am I going to pick? Sure. Okay. So if we look at, honesty versus humanity. My mind goes to, okay, my behaviors and actions match for what I stand for. I feel like 
we can help people understand, hey, here's what you say you stand for. Here's some of your actions. Like reminder, maybe just we should probably sharpen that, right? It feels, it's not easy, but it's simple kind of. Now on the other side, humanity, genuine concern for the experience of people. Okay, not so easy or simple, right? And I'm just really curious if someone, you know, you go in to sit down with a leader and it's just really not there. That's just not showing up right now, but they, they're willing and they're open to advance that. Like, what are the core tools or steps that you start to take to kind of build that muscle? The, what I try to, to encourage people to do is to take daily frictionless activities to each of these things. So I give people a couple of ideas, but I don't want to give them a prescribed list of go do this, 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 and this, and you will all of a sudden be a human leader. So I give a couple of ideas, but then it's really about discovering and helping them decide what does that, like, here's my definition of humanity in this context. What's yours? When you think about the people who have been that person for you, who have recognized your gift, who have seen the value in you, I always try to make it personal. When they can think of that person, all of a sudden they come up with their own solutions. They come up with, oh, you know what? I don't really spend, you know, before my kids go to bed at night, I don't tuck them in and give them a kiss. Maybe I'm going to start doing that. I would never have come up with that solution for them, but they came up with it themselves because they internalized what that feels like to be on the receiving end of human leadership. In this case, we're talking about humanity. And I do that for all of the other ones as well. I'll give you a couple of ideas from my experience in my life, but that's not going to work for you necessarily. So you connect with it. You think of somebody who's given that to you and what does that inspire you to do and to change in your life? Yeah. When you were sharing the answer to that, what came to mind is just the power of coaching because that's what you're really doing is you're asking a question for them to find out what's inside of them to find that answer and work towards that answer. It's not like a prescribed path where there are things in culture where it's like, here are the 10 elements of employee engagement. These are the 10 here are ideas, right? Like this stuff is not as prescribed. So it's a lot of coaching work. Mm-hmm. And you know, here's the thing that I like to say a lot. It's like, you've never arrived as a leader. No leader's perfect. You've never arrived. You know, you one year kill it and you're like, man, we have just been crushing it. And COVID comes next year. And now like things are just a shit storm, <laughs> you know? And so you have to go back to square one. So I think that the key takeaway there is just the power of having coaching in your life to really help work alongside any leader. The reason I take that approach, Nikki, too, the reason I take that approach is because I genuinely, I like, I know somebody's going to be skeptical about this comment. I genuinely believe that every single human being has these three things inside of them already. For some people, it's just buried a little deeper than others, right? But we all have this stuff. I'm just helping them to find where that is and to like start bringing it out. That's why I take that approach. Mm. I love that. I love that. I'm just watching our time. And this was a great segue into just like how you do your work. Just wanting to, before we transition to our lightning round, really understand how this work became your jam. Like, how did you get here where this is the type of thing that you absolutely love to do and have created a business around it? I think the, like I I didn't know it at the time, but that 17-year-old me that had that experience working at a bagel shop, right? sort of what planted that seed in my mind so that when years later I heard Simon Sinek as it happened, talk about some of this stuff, all of a sudden that connection was made. And I was like, oh my gosh, I now realize why I thrived in certain jobs and I really struggled in other ones. So 
the, I mean, I spent 10 years on Simon's team talking about similar ideas and seeing the difference in the impact that approaching work in this, with this mindset can have. And so that's sort of what got me really excited about it. And being able to now share from my own experience and observation, in addition to all of the brain science and all the data and all the studies and stuff that have been done, right? Combining those three things, it just like, there's nothing else that I want to do with my life. So awesome. Is that too broad of a statement? Maybe with my work. No, not at all. <laughs> I, no, I love it. Uh, David, thank you for sharing your learnings, your journey, your heart, you know, and all of this time that you spent in reflection to really understand just the way that you've found to be the core for helping to shift workplaces where cultures are thriving and not the opposite. So I loved breaking down honesty, humility, and humanity. And honestly, I wrote down a couple questions for myself that I want to dig into. And I hope many of our listeners did too. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll hear from a sponsor message and we're going to come back to our lightning round where we get to learn a few things about the personal side of you. So we'll be right back. If you're leading with a people-first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science with David Mead. So David, this is the fun round, the lightning round, where we get to ask a few questions and just learn a little bit about the personal side of you. So first question is, What's your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? Um, I'll go with a recent read. I read a book called Together by the U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. He identified, and it ties into the work that I do, which is probably why it was interesting to me, but he has a huge amount of research and data and studies about loneliness and isolation and how, what's the, I'm trying to think of a strong word that's not too strong. How incredibly dangerous it is to our health, right? Feeling isolated or alone, which is a huge problem now at work with hybrid teams and remote work and that kind of stuff. People are feeling more and more disconnected from their teams and from their organization. As bad for our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So that just motivates me even more to build that trust and connection for people. Absolutely. Such a huge issue. And thank you for the book. I hadn't heard of it, but that is a topic I'm interested in. Really good. I'm curious about a favorite hobby when you're not working. I love to hike. I'm like right at the bottom of these incredibly beautiful Utah mountains. So I love to get up and hike and just breathe fresh air up there. Awesome. And how about a favorite vacation spot? Europe for sure. More specifically, I would say probably the countryside of of England. Beautiful. Love it. All right. And David, how can listeners connect with you after the show today? Website is davidjmead.com. Same name on LinkedIn. And if you go there, you won't have any trouble being able to contact me. Such a rich conversation with David Mead today. If you loved what you heard, get this to the first five people who reach out to him via email, dm at davidjmead.com or his LinkedIn, David Mead, M-E-A-D. We'll put that in the show notes. David is offering a complimentary one-hour coaching session to discuss challenges your culture's facing and help you think through ideas to take a positive step forward. So cool. So again, for the first five people that reach out, via email or LinkedIn to David, he is going to give you a free session, which is awesome. Thank you, David. 
Here's my truth you can act on from our conversation today. Number one, it is important to understand the reality of how employees feel about culture. So eliminate assumptions and find a way to really capture the reality with an assessment. So assess and then accept what comes back from your questions and simply focus on growth and improvement from the data. I worked in employee engagement data for quite a while. And I think one of the hardest things is, you know, reading what comes back. But unless we know, we can't build from there. So just important to be able to to practice that where we really get that data back and truly understand what and how people feel about culture and then move from there. Number two, emotional intelligence is a necessary factor for leaders to conduct a successful debrief and set the stage to solve problems and advance outcomes. Ooh, I had a challenging day today and I was practicing everything I knew about emotional intelligence to keep my cool. So I could not agree with that more. And number three, coaching is the core to helping people make change. Can never start coaching early enough. David, it was a pleasure. Loved it. We'll be linking some materials from you in our show notes today. We'll see you next time, guys. Thanks. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.